And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. Uh, my sermon's titled Learning by Example. This is such a cool piece of scripture that I think often just gets overlooked. I really love when you can take the Old Testament and the stories of the Old Testament and see the symbolism of what that means for us. And that's what the scripture is going to do today is Paul is explaining some things to the church in Corinth. Um, but I want to just start out by just uh, telling a story about my kids. And I don't know, is there a point where, uh, pray for my kids. They're probably going to hear these one day and I don't know, but they're, why are you always talking about us on stage? <laughs> but I just, just thinking about this as we get into this and I just, this really set the tone this story can really set the tone for what we're about to get into. And, and essentially, if you guys don't know, Ryan and I homeschool our kids. It's our first year we did it. And we're finally done. We're completely done. We made it through year one. Uh, I think they learned something. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I did very little of it, um, if I'm being honest. It was mostly Mariah. So clap for her. Um, but one of the great things about doing homeschool, there's a lot of great things, but one of the good things is just that we get to do homeschool at our own pace. Um, and obviously we set deadlines for them. We really try to get most of our school done on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then they get the rest of the, cause that's when mom's home, right? And they're like, I don't wanna go to dad. <laughs> like, what does he know? Um, but sometimes it happens. Anyway, where I'm getting with this is we basically told them at the beginning of May, hey, we're down to like the last wire. You guys got a couple packets left in your book. Um, and the quicker you guys get done with them, the quicker you guys can start your summer vacation. And Charlie was super motivated by that. And she said, let me get this done fast. And, and, she, and Charlie's been done now for what, three weeks? Yeah, so uh, the older one, Anthony, on the other hand, he didn't. Um, he took his time, and, and I think after a week of Charlie having that freedom while he had to sit there and, and do schoolwork, I think really got to him. And, and he started to become impatient and uh, got really jealous of his sister. And I just didn't, you know, we encouraged him, hey, man, you know you get it done, but it's got to be good. And, and, you know, we're not going to cut corners and, and, you know, we do things the certain way for a reason. So let's try to get this stuff done Monday and Tuesday with, you know, work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or whatever. But the caveat with Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is, you know, mom works and, and dad works from home. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, sometimes you got to be patient with us when you want to come ask for help. And, uh, where am I going with this? Um, they're like, what? You're just going to spend the whole time telling the story? No, no. But basically what I'm saying here is uh, Anthony, about two weeks ago, turned in his work to me and it was, it was sloppy. It wasn't done right. Uh, and it, it was just rushed through. And I had to just basically, I had to break his little heart. He thought he was done with school and I had to go, hey, man. This isn't good work. You know, you cut, you know, tell me where you cut corners. Tell me 
you know, tell me why I can't read these words that you just wrote down. And he had to admit and say, well, you know, it's because I was rushing through it and I was impatient and, and, and I let that stuff get to me and I produced bad work and I didn't come to you and I didn't ask you uh, for help. You know, I just kind of guessed on this stuff instead of just coming to you and waiting for you to, to help me through this. In our scripture today, Paul's going to have some warnings for this church of Corinth. And we're going to see that the nation of Israel, uh, in a lot of ways, through their journey from Egypt to the promised land, became impatient, prideful. They cut corners. They weren't grateful. And we're going to see that they, they paid for that in a pretty big way. But Anthony thought he had the experience to just do this on his own. Say, hey, I can handle this. I can get this done. And, and I can, you know, I can do it at my pace. And uh, in the same way, the Church of Corinth is kind of known for being a church that that's kind of prideful, that kind of thinks that they're know-it-alls says, you know, we're pretty experienced believers and, and we've got a, we got a pretty good handle on what's going on. Um, and a lot of this letter is actually Paul writing them with some questions that they had, you know, where they say, well, the Bible doesn't, you know, what's, what do we know about this? You know, it's really unclear. And really they're going to get down to talk, uh, meat today. Can we eat meat? that was made, or can we eat meat that was uh, offered to pagan gods? They were just like, you know, we don't believe in those gods. So what does that mean for us? You know, I like meat, like getting a good deal on that meat. <laughs> and so they had these questions and, and they thought they had maybe the answers to them. And we're just going to see Paul say, hey, that's great that you've got some experience this morning, but, and that's great that you're a mature Christian. You're an experienced believer. Uh, but he's also going to say, I need you to know that experience must be balanced by caution. And that's the lesson we're going to see. As Paul spent chapters eight and nine going through this, explaining to them, the best he knew how of just our liberties and freedoms as Christians, but, and we have liberties and freedoms as Christians, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be jumping into things that are going to tempt us and, and doing things that God calls us not to do. And again, you know, I don't, there's, they were free from that law that they could eat this meat, but Paul's going, well, should you? Is it going to tempt you? Is that going to be good for you? Or is it going to be something to where you're going to be tempted to sit at a table with people that, the pagans, these people that reject your God? <clears throat> so Paul's saying you got to stop and evaluate, you got to know when to stop and evaluate and make sure that your life's lining up with God's and in every situation, in every decision that you make, that it's not going to stop you from stumbling. 
It's not going to stop you from stumbling a brother. That's a big one I think we sometimes forget, right? I like the story um, Josh tells. I'm just going to call him out from the pulpit. <laughs> he tells this story about having a guy over and eating bacon. And he just said he was with somebody who doesn't like eating bacon, uh, said something against it. And, and good for Josh that he was like, well, you know, if it's going to cause you to stumble, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. And just something as simple as that. Um, that we can just go, you know, we don't want to do things that are going to cause people to stumble, even if it seems silly to us, right? You know, we got, sometimes we just have to question that voice that says, I've got enough insight to, to handle this. You know, I've got enough experience as a Christian to be able to, to conquer this. And instead, just ask that voice, well, maybe I should, uh, maybe I shouldn't even put myself in that position to set myself up to perhaps be tempted by something like that. So again, I kind of mentioned Paul in chapters eight and nine addressing this question that the Corinthians had. Uh, and again, they get into meat and, and Paul, go read chapters eight and nine, really good. Um, that's your homework when you get back, when you get home or this week. Go read them. Because Paul does just lay out some liberties we have as Christians. And, and again, says sometimes we got to give those liberties up if it means, uh, if it means we're going to help a brother, if it means we're going to be able to better equip ourselves to serve Christ. But then the Corinthians kind of get even deeper. It's like, well, okay, well, if we can eat meat from the pagans, can we eat with pagans? You go, that's, you know, taking it a step further. Well, can we just walk into the pagan restaurants and, and eat with, with these guys and, and have fellowship with them? You know, where's the line is essentially what they're asking. Where's that, where's that line that I can cross? They want a really black and white answer. And, and Paul's saying it's not so black and white sometimes. I think that's pretty relevant as they're going, is it okay for me to support this? Is it okay for me to, where's the line? It's okay for me to buy something, but, you know, do I want to support that? We're living in a time right now where businesses and brands are getting farther and farther away from biblical worldview. They're getting bold about just standing up for things that God calls sin, sexuality. This uh, sex sells, man. I can't even. I can't even let my kids watch something on Disney Channel without first screening it and seeing if it's okay for my kids to be watching. We just go. Where do I stop? You know, do I just tell my kids they can't watch Disney? ever again. I think that line's different for everybody, you know? But I think we, it's, it's, a, it's so cool when you see the Bible kind of line up with what we're dealing with right now, because these guys are kind of like, hey, do we even want to support this brand? 
world's getting farther away, and that shouldn't surprise us, right? It shouldn't be something to where we're looking at the world and going, why isn't the world more Christian? Well, because God says that the world's just going to fall farther away from, from God and, and just get more crazy. We're expecting this. But to just go, you know, if, if we just chose to just, well, you know, if they're not a Christian company, we're just, you know, most of you guys probably wouldn't be wearing clothes right now. You might as well throw the iPhones in your pocket away, you know, probably sell your house. I, it's crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, again, these, some of these, they're just taking it a step further and going, how bold am I going to get? And just standing out against what, what God's called us away from. In chapter 10, what we're going to read eventually when I get there, we haven't, we haven't read Bible this morning, man. I've just been telling stories up here. Um, chapter 10 is really going to focus, and Paul's going to say, I want you to look back. I want you to look back at the, your ancestors in Israel, the nation of Israel. Uh, they've got some lessons you can learn from them. And we're going to look at three important things that we can learn from the nation of Israel about their experiences. And Paul's going to warn us about some things. And number one is privileges do not guarantee success. Number two is good beginnings do not guarantee good endings. And number three is experience does not guarantee overcoming temptation. And so we're just going to jump into it. Privileges do not guarantee success. We're going to be in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So Paul just starts out by saying, you guys see how well this, the nation of Israel had it? I want you to be aware of, of the nation of Israel. It's not just a bunch of old stories of dead guys with cool beards. These guys have stories. These guys have things we can learn from. And you need to be aware of these lessons that we can learn from these older saints. And we see here in these first four first couple of verses that Paul just lays out all the things that happened from them leaving Egypt and their time out in the wilderness. God provided everything they needed and, every, and just blessed Israel so much in this time from them leaving Egypt. Talks about that cloud, that they were under that cloud. It's that cloud of Shekinah that sheltered them from the hot sun during the day and gave them warmth during the night. You guys ever been to the desert? It's not great. 
I I was out in my yard for like two hours yesterday. I got sunburned. I can't, I don't know if you tell. It wasn't even like super hot outside yesterday, but how cool is it? Like, I just imagine that desert heat and just imagine this cloud that God provided for them to give them cover, to protect them from just burning up in the desert. The only way they were able to survive out there, I'm sure, for 40 years was because God provided that for them. But not only it does it get super hot in the desert, it gets super cold at night. And this cloud produced a pillar of fire that, that gave them warmth during the night. Then it goes into the parting of the Red Sea, where again, God just makes everything happen for them. Just says, I'm going to provide the way. I'm going to provide for you every step of the way. And you see the parting of the Red Sea where they watch God literally just make a dry path for them through a body of water and cross it only to have that path close on the people that were chasing them and, and those people washed away. Pretty awesome. Then he talks about the same spiritual food and that's manna. Magic honey bread. Magic honey bread. This manna just appeared to them, gave them all the nutrients they needed. Why are you shaking your head? Magic honey bread. I wish I had some. I want to taste it. It sounds delicious. And we're going to see later they get tired of it, man. I was like, I don't know. I guess 40 years of eating the same foods. I I just wonder if there was like a like a cookbook out there anywhere, like a hundred and one ways to make to do things with manna, make make the manna bread. I have I have a few more. No, okay. I came prepared. Came manicotti. Okay, moving on. Okay, okay, I'm done. But this bread just appeared to them. And it was full of nutrients, just gave them everything they needed. Uh, Again, what a blessing and just proof that God just provided through them all throughout their time out there. Uh, Then we get into the spiritual drink and this rock. They drink from that spiritual rock. And it's a rock that literally Moses slapped on it and water poured out of it. Lots of water a stream of water. And Paul says that Jesus was with them the whole way. Jesus was that rock providing for them, sheltering them, protecting them. I want you guys to, are you guys picking up on the symbolism here? It's really cool. I really nerd out on this stuff. The the nation of Israel is, is us. Israel leaving Egypt is us leaving the slave slavery of our sin behind. And all of these things that happen where God provided, where Jesus was with them and protected them and nourished them and gave them everything they needed to be successful. That's us. That's that's Jesus with us 
protecting us, providing for us, walking side by side with us as we leave the, our, the old world behind. There's even some cool symbolism about, um, go back up where he says they were baptized into Moses with the cloud and in the sea. Obviously we were baptized to Moses, but baptized into Jesus. And going through the Red Sea represents our baptism. Super cool. Even John, in John, it, Jesus says that he's the bread and the water. But then look at verse five, it says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's like the biggest understatement in the Bible. When he says with most of them, most Bible scholars believe there's two or three million, two or three million uh, people walking through this desert. You know how many made it? Two. Two of the two or three million people made it from that original generation that left Egypt. And their names, it was Joshua and Caleb who were sent out as spies and came back. They, they went to spy on the promised land and they came back. And, and out of... Uh, all the spies, only two of them, those two came back and said, we can get this done. We can get this done with, with the help of our Lord. The others all said, oh, there's no way we can do that. There's no way we're going in there. Joshua and Caleb said, I have faith in, that God's gonna do this. I have faith that God will do this for us. for all their blessings and spiritual experiences that the nation of Israel had. Most of them never entered into what God, the fullness that God had for them in the promised land. They never entered into what God really had for them. They ended up wandering around in the desert and sure God provided for them and God kept them safe. but they never got to experience the promised land, the, what God actually had for them because they, they failed to have faith and trust in God. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the nation of Israel missed out on that reward. Even with all the privileges and blessings they had experienced, even with all the stuff that they experienced, all the blessings. And we can look at our lives and go, you know, a lot of the time we don't experience God on the same level of just physical miracles happening for us. It's more spiritual, but we do see stuff like that, man. And it's easy for us to just 
miss the whole point and still not put our trust in God when there's roofs over our head, when we've got money to put food on the table, that God is taking care of our needs. And how many of us are just going, well, that, you know, that's because I worked extra shifts. How many of us get puffed up and, well, I made that happen? How many of us are just still not putting their faith in God and just saying, I don't have enough? God, you should have done more. But that first lesson is that, you know, even Israel, who got to experience these blessings and these miracles happen, uh, those privileges didn't guarantee their success. And, and two, of, uh, two of the two to three million are the, the only ones that made it in to experience that fullness that, that God had for them. Number two, good beginnings do not guarantee good endings. Verse six, it says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. And they were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition, sorry, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So these are the examples. He says, look, these are the examples. These are where the nation of Israel really messed up. This is where they blew it. And we see really four examples from the nation of Israel where where they just, these things were just unpleasing to God. And now we can take these examples because, um, because there's still things that are relevant to us today. They might look a little bit different, but there's still things we struggle with today. And so we can look at these examples and and hopefully learn from them. Hopefully take them and go, I I need to know when this temptation comes up, I can stop and identify it and try to flee from it. Uh, The first one we see is uh, he brings up lust. And we see that example in uh, Numbers 11. Uh, verses four and five, where it says, who will give us meat to eat? Remember the fish, which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up and there's nothing at all except for this manna before our eyes. How dare they talk bad about manna? Um, But how crazy is this? They're sitting here going, do you remember how good we had it back when we were slaves? Do you remember how awesome it was when we were 
enslaved to the people of Egypt? I really wish we had something different to eat. And that's lust. They grew tired of what God had provided and they craved more. That's lust. And that's everywhere in this world, man. You think that they had a bad, we can lust over everything, man. We, we crave more and more. We covet more and more. I need that. I want that. That's not a, my life's not enough. I got to have the next one. Number two is idolatry. And the story of, uh, in Exodus 32 just tells us about the golden calf where the people became impatient and anxious and, and, and quick to just go, we're not going to trust God. Uh, Moses must have been eaten or something. Uh, you know, we got to find a new God. Our God's left. And they started worshiping a golden cow statue. And we just look at that and go, how quick are we sometimes to stop waiting on God's timing and just focus on our own and just go, is God providing for us? Is God providing on our time? or his time. And how freaked out do we get? And just go, well, I'm gonna stop putting my trust in God and, uh, you know, put something else before God. Maybe that'll fill this void in my life. But put something more important than God. You know, I've been reading my Bible, I've been praying and, and this isn't happening. So, and instead, I'm just gonna just gonna listen to music instead. Maybe that'll maybe that'll fix it. Maybe I just need to spend some more time on me and less time on God. I just need to spend more time hanging out with friends. Then it could be anything. I don't know. Just listening stuff. Number three gets into sexual immorality, and we see in numbers uh, that in numbers twenty five. And this really just connects with lust and their selfish desire to please themselves rather than to do what was pleasing to God. They knew that stuff was wrong. And they just chose to do it anyway. They said, we're not, you know, we're not going to listen to you. This is more fun. This is more pleasing to our, my flesh. just go off and do our own thing. In this case, uh, some really gross sexual stuff. But what it boils down to is, again, their desire to please themselves over, over just do what's pleasing to God. <clears throat> then it says they tempted Christ. And, and this reference is Numbers 21 where they start complaining that God's not doing enough for them. God, why aren't you doing enough for me? Why do I struggle? Why am I, why am I wandering through this desert, God? Why haven't you done enough for me? And they sit there and complain that they don't have enough when God's doing everything for them and they just don't see it. 
You ever just have that moment where you find yourself complaining about something? As you're sitting there driving your Mercedes Benz or listening to your headphones that you don't have. I mean, it's crazy, man. It's crazy how much we can just sit here and complain about stuff when we have it so good, especially as people in America, man. But you still just find these people complaining and just going, and ourselves, you know, I'm guilty of this too. I'm myself complaining going, I wish I had that, you know. You don't see what God's done for you right in front of your eyes. You don't see God's provided the shelter for you, the food, the water. Uh, In this case, God was keeping fiery serpents away from, and God said, well, I'm not doing enough for you here. Have these fiery serpents. (laughs) Keeping them away from danger. It's crazy what 40 years in the desert will do to somebody's attitude over time. But I think what's even crazier about this is you look, look at a map. Look at how long it actually takes to walk from Egypt to the promised land. It doesn't take 40 years. Most people think they could have probably made it in a month, maybe two, with all 2 million, 3 million people. What should have taken them a month took them 40 years to do. And they could have just entered the promised land. And that full goodness that God had for them. But because of their sinfulness, because of their lack of trusting that God would provide for them, the lack that of just going, God will provide. God will make this happen. I'm not scared. God's got our back. We can go into that promised land. They didn't enter. God gave them the opportunity to enter and they just didn't because they were scared because they weren't trusting in God. But once again, we can kind of see that symbolism in our lives that God doesn't want us to wander around aimlessly for 40 years. God doesn't want that for us. He wants us, he wants to take us straight from Egypt, from the world that we were in, from the chains of our sins and take us straight to the promised land and the things that he has for us. And Israel probably started strong, but they didn't end strong. God wants us to start strong and end strong. But that, that takes us trusting him, trusting his plan, trusting his timing, uh, putting our faith in him, not giving up, not complaining, but putting our trust in God. Number three, experience does not guarantee overcoming temptation. No temptation, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as it is common to man. But God is faithful 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread of which we break, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with the demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This has got that famous, uh, that famous quote that people love to misquote. And then you see them at signs on Hobby Lobby that say, God won't give you more than you can handle. The sign should actually read, God won't give you more than your faith can handle. Our experience does not guarantee overcoming temptation, but faith in Jesus does. God often gives us more than we can handle so we can rely on him, so we can trust in him. So we can go, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm crazy for even thinking I can do it on my own. I need your help. But we see here in in our scripture that he promises to limit the temptation according to our capability to endure it and rely on him as we rely on him uh, and not our capability as we, as we rely on ourselves. We would have no chance against Satan if, if God wasn't here restricting him. God, or God only allows Satan so much power in our lives. If we didn't have God restricting him he would just destroy us. I looked at Luke uh, twenty two thirty one, where it says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Satan would just sift us like wheat if he was able to get to us. But God's there. God by our side, we don't, God allows those temptations to happen. And, and he does give us more than we can handle. So we can rely on him. So a couple more points from this last uh, scripture. Uh, underline the word flee from idolatry. The word flee, I think, is key here. Because I think often... We'd, we don't always flee from temptation. We don't always flee from idolatry. It's, you know, maybe we just keep it at arm's length. Maybe we're just going to back up and, and, and watch 
from, <laughs> from the corner. They'll just, you know, I'm not going to flee from it. I'm not going to flee from these temptations. I'm not going to act on these temptations. But you're also just hanging out with the temptations. It's not a good place to be. That's a place that's going to end up with you possibly being tempted to do something. And you need to know your temptations. You need to know these things. The, uh, the former alcoholic probably shouldn't be going to the bar to do bar ministry. That was one thing I had to tell my dad. <laughs> Sorry, dad, this is probably not a good place for you. But I also like in the scripture, it says God provides the escape. God provides that escape for us, but it's on us uh, to reach out and use it, right? He can drop the rope down. We got to climb out, right? And again, Paul might be talking about pagan statues here, worshiping demons. Um, and, and I don't think there's a lot of uh, worshiping of little statues anymore, but Idolatry and temptation are everywhere. It just takes a different form these days. And we got to be careful. We got to be careful. There's temptations everywhere. There's landmines everywhere that we could step on. And if we're not careful to just go, I'm not even going to mess with that. I'm going to flee from it. I'm going to escape it. I'm going to get as far away from temptation as I can because I don't want to be tempted by it. I don't, I don't even hey, I might think I'm strong enough to do this. I'm not. And even if I th do think I'm strong enough, I don't want to put myself in a position to be able to fall. <clears throat> Paul just going back to the church of Corinth and saying, yeah, if you, uh, you, you buy these meat from pagans, but you, be careful, man. You're setting yourself up. You know, you're going to walk in there and be careful. You're not going to fall for these things, man. These are not of God. These things are not of God. You need to be careful. You need to discern. And I like how he just ends by saying, are we stronger than God? And that's what it boils down to. These people that, you know, the trap that we fall into, the of pride, thinking that we're so wise in our understanding, thinking so we're so strong in our understanding that we don't have to rely on God for this stuff. We can just, we can do it on our own. I can handle this. It's whatever. It's just a, it's just a rated R movie. It's just like one nudity scene. I can, I can probably handle that. Man, if that's something you struggle with, it's less something you struggle with, man. Don't. There's things out there, man. You want to watch movies like that. There's things out there that'll skip over those parts of the movie. Are we stronger than God? Let's make sure we're learning from the examples of the people that came before us. that we can focus on the blessings of God. 
that we can finish strong and that we're ready to, to overcome temptation, not because of what we're doing, not because of what we know, not because of how strong we are, but because we, we're putting our faith in Jesus Christ.